When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know entirely too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I get the sense that that's why you're listening to this show. You come <laughs> to me for that expertise that no one has, because why would they bother? With me, as always, is my co-host. She's the skeptic, the voice of the people, the little devil upon my shoulder, Kristen Stuttered. Hey, Kristen and the real reason people come to the show. Ooh, okay. <laughs> the voice I mean, of the people. <laughs> to hear right? their voice uh, heard, to hear their thoughts uh, expounded upon. You know, it's it's really, if we're to come down on it, it's probably the mixture. It's I, probably I think so. That... It's our undeniable chemistry. <laughs> Everybody's got a little bit of Joe and a little bit of Kristen in them. That lightning in a bottle. Um, well, Kristen, we're in the thick of it talking about artists on the ballot this year let's go ahead and bring in our guest he is a journalist a podcaster uh he you know he actually uh he hosted a, a podcast called striped let's bring in sean cannon hey sean oh, i was waiting for the applause i guess that's, that's fine. <laughs> no big deal i'm not gonna do the whole uh the whole regalia uh yeah so excited to be here I don't know if I get to be an angel or a demon. I like sitting on people's shoulders, so um, fingers crossed that yeah, I fit Either way, one of those you get a categories. piggyback ride. You'll right, fit right in. Sweet. You'll fit right yeah. in. Um, well, thank you for joining us, Sean. And uh, first things first, since you've never been on the show before, I want to get an idea. You know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a peripheral institution for many, a confounding one, a confusing one. Uh, I'm curious what your reference level is for the institution of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with it. You know, as a journalist, you have to kind of um, keep an eye on what's going on there, you know, track the stories. And also as someone who just enjoys weird minutiae and trivia, I know a lot about the history of it, a lot about the folks in it. Um, I don't watch it every year necessarily. I'll usually try and chime in for the highlights. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess I would say mm -hmm. uh, more than your average uh, music fan, less than some of my music journalist friends who not only vote every year, but like obsess over it. Mm. Okay. Uh, yes. I think that puts you in, in, a, in a good spot for, for this show. Uh, you know, you're not coming in blind, but you're not, you're not here to rival me, <laughs> which would, I would get so mad. Um. <laughs> there is no rivaling you though he just admitted that he doesn't go every year and that he only knows enough not not more than enough not too much right yeah that's a, that's a good place to be in um well let's uh sean to get to know you why don't we go ahead and take a look at this year's ballot um and let's play sean cannon is a rock hall voter if you got up to five spots on a ballot with this list of 
nominees, who would you pick? Oh, 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 so tough. Um, well, you know, I have to be a homer and say the White Stripes would be number one on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, number two, probably Joy Division, nice. New Order, uh, George Michael. Good. Mm-hmm. Number three, uh, let's see here. Number four, uh, man, Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. and then uh, Tribe Called Quest. Okay. Look, that's Possibly a good ballot. That's five. eclectic. Yeah. I would say, which is, uh, you know, a way you could describe this ballot as a whole. Uh, but yeah, we let, we, uh, we advocate for crossing the genre lines, you know, having a, a class that's diverse in sound and, and everything really. And so I would say that's a, that's a good ballot right there. Yeah. I like it. Um, was there anybody who was kind of like circling that number five position Were you, uh, was anybody else jockeying, uh, to take tribes spot as your number five? I feel like that's usually the spot where people have their, you know, there's a couple of people it could have gone a couple of ways or were you sure? Uh, I, it's tough. You know, uh, I, I wouldn't mind having Willie Nelson in there, although I'm particularly weirded out by the inclusion of people who are. Uh, playing both types of music, country and Western, being added into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which seems odd because I have no problem with like uh, hip hop artists or, um, you know, more pop oriented folks. So like Tribe, George Michael, those are fine for me. But Willie Nelson feels a little like an outlier. And maybe that's just because we're talking about a form of music that predates rock and roll, whereas rock and roll itself is like... um, I guess you could say like a, an always evolving thing. So maybe Willie Nelson, possibly. I think that's an astute assessment about the uh, the issues surrounding country's involvement, you know, because when country has its own Hall of Fame and that Hall of Fame was established mm-hmm. in 1961 before the Beatles ever released a recording. So, you know, it absolutely predates, you know, kind of the rock and roll era if they were already doing a, already establishing a hall of fame before the British invasion, you know, your, I think your point stands and it, it's a strong one. Um, but at the same rate, you know, we talked about Willie not long ago. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a cross cultural figure. He, he bridges certain genres. So, you know, there's, there's that to consider as well the only thing really to think about is uh what's his induction going to look like because he's 100 yeah he's getting definitely inducted. getting in he doesn't need your vote <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it really doesn't matter whether he, whether we like it or anyone likes it or not that guy is it's going just happening in. <laughs> just happening he's a he's a he's got the legend slot and that's if you're going to put your money on somebody you put it on the uh <laughs> the legend who is nearly 90 years old how old was Willie Nelson when the Country Hall of Fame started? So if you think that's 60 years ago. So he was he like 30, 30 years old when the Country <laughs> right. Hall of Fame started. Yeah. He was 30 years old before the Beatles wrote their, uh, released a, a record. Mm-hmm. Mm, may, yeah, maybe not quite 30, but close close to it, like late 20s. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Something to think about. He's been around. <laughs> yeah. Can't say that. You can't say that he hasn't. Anyway, 
Let's uh yeah, I want to talk about the I want to talk about the white stripes. Let's uh let's transition to that and talk about your um personal history with with the group and uh you know, we can kind of start with do you remember the first time you heard the white stripes? I I can't say that I remember the first time, but what I do remember is the first time I saw the fell in love with a girl video because that like that was one of those um, paradigm shifting moments for me. And I feel like for a lot of other people, you know, it, it felt like maybe for a little while, the music video as a form had kind of become a little stale. Lost its mm-hmm. way. Maybe that's because, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's because it was dominated by a lot of like very uh, sugary, like top 40 pop stuff. And, you know, there was a lot of Backstreet Boys and NSYNC happening but it really mm-hmm. felt like it, it heralded in this sort of new era of creativity with all of those, um, you know, Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones videos. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been doing it before. It's not like they weren't around, but it did feel like an injection of creativity, which is, I guess, like one of the reasons why Pitchfork, uh, who've not always been friendly to the White Stripes, did say it was, I think, the best music video of the aughts. So, mm-hmm. um, and for our listeners, it's all. Lego. It's Lego. And it's um yeah, like you said, Michelle Gondry directed it. And it is um and it's not like it's Lego sculptures, it's almost like an overhead it's like two-dimensional Lego animation. It like pixelated uh because almost, yeah. of the blockiness of the Legos and stuff. It's a fun one. You know, I, this is this is an artist that I can actually say that I remember when I first heard them, because I don't know. Often the artists we cover did not like debut when I was paying attention to music, but this band definitely did, and they did a performance on the uh, MTV Movie Awards, and I had never heard them before, and they were so different. And so weird that like they caught my attention and I wasn't sure exactly what to think of them at the time. Cause I was also relatively deep in my phase of like new music sucks, man. Remember Classic when rock yeah, is where exactly. oh, you were a boomer. At, I was like at, a boomer. 12, at, I was a 12 year old boomer. Yeah. That's your, uh, that's your no, memoir. It, truly though. Like I thought I was interesting by being like old music was the best. You know, the stuff they put out now, it's just not the same, man. No, I think every kid goes through that. Like when they discover the Beatles, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, right. And so I wasn't, I like knew I liked the White Stripes, but I recall even being with friends watching the award show and being like, what's this? What do they think they're doing? Even though I was internally struggling with the fact that like. You were like, oh, oh, this rocks. This rocks a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Kristen, do you have any, any, I don't remember the first time I heard them or anything like that. When did they debut the late nineties? Early two thousands. Early two. Okay. Early two thousands. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing their, I remember like seven nation army. I remember that music video. Yeah. And that would have been later. You would definitely have Baseline, but I knew fell in love with a girl as well, and that music video as well. But I was I was not super into uh, like 
quote unquote, like alternative rock music at that point. Mm. I was more into like indie rock music. Like, sure, sure, sure. And these were, they were almost like a little too, they were getting played on radio stations that I used to listen to, mm. but that I had stopped listening to. And I was now just like trying to find pavement singles on, you know, Napster or whatever. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's interesting. So you must have like missed them in the crossover from being indie darlings to uh commercial rock heavyweights because their first tour was with pavement they opened for pavement three dates in yeah. the south in 99 yeah no i was like i was like in the early aughts is when i finally is when i started getting into like college radio indie rock music and i like i you know i was that same thing of like i thought i was discovering everything for the first time i'm like this neutral milk hotel is interesting <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> um uh stuff and no i mean i completely miss them it sounds uh, like I, you I, guys crossed over at like the exact same time like you went to indie just as they were kind of like leaving it yeah i also was embarrassingly into like pop punk music at this point too i i'm sure i was like really listening to i'm trying to even remember what like record labels i was into i was listening to like you know pop punk record label samplers and a lot of you know early 2000s alkaline trio and stuff um uh i a was of, I, a lot of drive-through records yes drive-through records for sure some vagrant records i was just out there doing music that i don't really listen to anymore either like that i think is an interesting thing i i only say are you saying that's you, like the you, best you, part of my musical taste at that hold point on. christian are you saying somehow you grew out of pop punk can you believe it? Okay. It was Whatever. A, it was a, I flew high and I flew fast. Uh, um, and, then I, and then I hit the ground. But uh, Sean, I want to, so I, I want to talk about uh, what leads you to doing a, a podcast about the white stripes striped uh, as it's called. Um, you know, there was a little while where I was working at Discogs and became friendly with the, the Third Man Records folks. And it was right as the 20th anniversary of their first album uh, was coming up. And uh, Ben Blackwell, who's one of the three men of Third Man Records, uh, Jack White's uh, nephew, and also their first roadie, their uh, unofficial archivist, you know, all kinds of stuff. He and I were talking about ways to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the first record, and the idea of a podcast came up. You know, I used to work in public radio, have a long history in podcasts, uh, in audio in general. And, you know, he said, well, why the hell not? Let's let's do it. The irony being that, like, we had a month to get it done, and I was like, that's fine. Whatever. I don't care. I don't have to sleep for the next four weeks. It's It's cool. No big deal. So, you know, we put the first season together. Ben and I did a lot of uh, back and forth. You know, he really leads a lot of the story in terms of providing color, especially for the first two seasons, which are out, uh, because he was around for most of it. I mean, he was essentially the annoying little kid saying like, hey, hey, Uncle Jack, Uncle Jack, Uncle Jack, can I, can I come on tour with you? And if he hears me say this, he'll probably... Uh, begrudgingly agree mm -hmm. because I don't think, I don't think he likes to think of himself that way, but uh, he knows it's true. Sure. Uh, so we just did the first season. Then we came back for the second season to cover the second record as we were approaching the 20th anniversary for Distill, their 
sophomore album, and as we were putting the finishing touches on that, the pandemic hit. So, you know, we kind of pressed pause, took a little bit of a break. Uh, They got busy dealing with this new world in which we live. I had a bunch of other projects, too. Uh, the long story short, we're working on season three and beyond at the moment, but it's, Thank you God. know, slow going. It's a labor of love for everybody involved. And um, I can't wait to get it out, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily coming in the next few weeks. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm really glad to hear that because I, I enjoyed the podcast quite a bit. And after the second season, we're like, we're we're getting to the precipice of like when things really get crazy and when you know they hit that mainstream success and it's like you know listen to that podcast it's so fun and uh it's such a build to like getting to that point that we all know and you know ben blackwell is is such a uh invaluable resource the fact that like any band has an archivist let alone an unofficial one but someone that was just around and has kept like everything and knows so much and can recall so much about those early years when no one else was paying attention uh is yeah no one knew that this was going to be what it was and he just had the foresight or you know and the memory (laughs) he has the (laughs) yeah i mean there are notes jack is a copious note taker and and blackwell also has plenty of notes from that era so it's really interesting you know i'm not sure if anyone really thought Oh, yeah, you know, we're going to be huge. We're going to redefine rock music, uh, be the last giant, great rock band that sort of harkens back to, you know, bygone eras. I don't know that anyone thought that. But I do think that everybody involved felt like it was something special and we should probably keep track, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is a very different thing. But it's great because that means you have all of these uh, videotapes from like 99, 2000, 2001 of them performing in like tiny record stores and, you know, shitty, uh, bars where there are very few people. It's something that you don't see a lot of, especially from like that era when it's not people also who come from money you know, it's one thing when, oh yeah, no big deal. I have 800 bucks to go buy a camcorder and go hang out with my friends. And we all just have nothing better to do. Our parents are bankrolling our lives and there's just kind of like that. I feel like that is kind of a, a rich kid's Every band that comes from money has like one of their random friends also is their videographer or is there, <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel yeah, like, yeah. like they have a photo- team like nightlife photographer or, um, you know, videographer for their friend's band. That's kind of, you've got to have some stuff. Usually you've got to have a, a little bit of a cushion to make that happen, to make that your life. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's interesting about, you know, the white stripes and Jack White in particular is like, they didn't come from money. They, you know, Jack was, I think, one of, what was it, nine, nine children. And they lived in Detroit at a time when Detroit was not great. Uh, so being able to do this in the same way that, you know, bands like the Ramones did it, where it's like, no one's expecting anything from you. You're coming from a place where people don't really care about. And all of a sudden you burst on the scene and what you have to say is so different from what everybody else is saying because of 
that very particular perspective that you have and now everything's changed now everything's different right and that's like it's a ra- it's a rare a rare thing you know particularly when you think about what indie rock and what rock music whatever you want to call it just music in general has been for the last 30 years you know Mm-hmm. It's 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 become a place for uh, the Nepo babies to play, as it were. Yes. If we're gonna, if we're going to get into that, um, which I I'm not necessarily trying to make this all about class, but I do appreciate the fact that a story that Blackwell told me that we're working, you know, for this new season coming up here, the White Stripes were going to sign with a major. You know, everybody wanted them, and they wanted a deal where they got to keep their masters, and that was very rare. And um, you know, their attorney said, well, you know, if you guys are going to get a big check as an advance, this is probably the only money you're ever going to get because that's how this usually works for bands. The label gives them money and then you never see any more money. Mm-hmm. And um, Jack said, well, I've been poor before. I can be poor again. I'm not in this to make money right now. I want to earn it. If my music doesn't make money, I don't want to make money off of it. And, you know, that was a really perceptive thing. Um, and it was all predicated on the fact that, like, he'd been there before. You know, it wasn't about maintaining a certain lifestyle. It was just mm-hmm. about doing what he loved. It's rare, particularly back then, when you really could get a giant fucking paycheck from a record label who really wanted you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen so much anymore. You're not getting millions of dollars for a record deal these days if you're a rock band. Mm-hmm. But those days, you know... Probably could have just told a label, told V2, told Warner, told whoever, yeah, here's how much we want, and they would have signed the check. Instead, they said, give us the records. That's what we want. Mm-hmm. Smart. Prescient. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now they don't have to do Jack's version of anything. Um... <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's funny that you said, Kristen, about having a cushion because uh, he didn't have a cushion, but he did uh, make cushions to, <laughs> oh, to some degree. Because <laughs> wow. Jack was uh, an upholsterer. What have we done? Yes. He, was an, he was an upholsterer. Uh, and that was, you know, that was the gig. That that was the thing he was doing as music was taking off. And then, you know, you you, you talk about it in your, uh, in your podcast quite a bit, Sean. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... You know, another one of those strange things, like, I don't know if he thought it would be permanent or not, but, you know, Blackwell talks about how he sort of approached it the same way he approached music, like it was an art project. You know, his record label's called Third Man Records. The upholstery shop was called Third Man Upholstery. He's doing upholstery again these days. If you go, I think his uh, Third Man Upholstery Instagram keeps you updated on all the... the um couches and cushions and ottomans and other various and sundry projects he's working on for friends i heard he got way back into it when the pandemic started and it was just like suddenly yeah. had a bunch of time and was like well i i'll get back into a upholstery and he did a ton of that yeah and he was really good at it back then so i guess maybe it's like a bicycle you you don't forget it's easy to pick back up. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> everything I've seen on the Instagram looks pretty sweet, and I just keep waiting to get mine. You know, I'm just, <laughs> just, just waiting, waiting for the the surprise uh, couch to show up on my doorstep. Right, that Jack made in black and yellow. So if he's listening now, maybe maybe that's coming soon. I don't know. We'll see. Um, no, you, you know, he's just like a 
a guy with vision, and I think seeing that in those early days with third man upholstery is true. There's another story from the podcast. I'm not just going to like tell you guys the whole podcast. I'll leave a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, listen so to you, the podcast, guys. Yeah, get the real get the real <laughs> deal from the podcast. But we'll, we'll we'll tease out some some tasty morsels. Yeah, and it you know Blackwell's telling the story about how uh, Jack took inspiration from old watchmakers. They would make inscriptions for like the next person who would repair the watch because you know some of these watches would last hundreds of years in terms of being passed down from generation to generation. So when he was doing upholstery, he would write messages on the furniture frame. And there was one, the last thing I think he was that he ever did, he dropped off to this old lady and they were driving there and Blackwell said, uh, Jack looked over to me and he goes, man, I wrote some fucking poetry on that chair. (laughs) And they looked for it, you know, after everything happened and the band got huge and they started the label. Like, I think Blackwell said he spent a couple of years like trying to find that chair and could not. Wow. So also, if you happen to be listening out there in Detroit and you know the chair that we're talking about, like, hit me up. (laughs) And if you suspect your chair might be the chair, tear that thing up. (laughs) Take take a look inside. Try to find that poetry. Uh, You could be uh, you could be sitting on some music history to some degree. But I guess that my point is, like, it really shows the, the kind of holistic approach he took to music and still does to this day. And it's like, why? the white stripes worked because it wasn't just him saying, yeah, I want to make some music, I guess, or whatever. And uh-huh. uh, maybe it should sound old possibly. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like right. so fr- from day one, the red, the white, the black, that was there from day one, the idea of it being a duo meant something beyond just, I don't have any other friends because that was not the case. He was in a bunch of other bands before starting the white stripes. Are we going to talk kind of about the the like public persona that they had when they first kind of broke out? Um, I'm sure at some sure. point. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like that's you know, it, it, thinking about you know, as you're saying, there's there's a vision. There's you know, it wasn't just guys in t-shirts and jeans the way a lot of bands were. Like when you look a when you look a certain way, um, you know, it, it draws attention. And, and Jack was very uh, specific about that not only the the red white and black but also the uh how to show how to present him and meg who was his wife but sister they... sister yeah yeah excuse me <laughs> yeah it was his <laughs> sister wink um but yeah about how to present that in a way that almost like keeps the uh Press. I mean, I don't think he was thinking about the press, but just like, it's an interesting idea. It's like, oh, this is my sister. I think he was trying to be enigmatic. I think Mm -hmm. they were trying to like keep people guessing and, you know, kind of fuck with people. I've also heard him talk about how it's, uh, you actually get less judgment when it's your sister than if it's a relationship that people can speculate about that mm-hmm. they can be kind of tabloidy about, you know, if it's mm-hmm. just like, this is my sister, then like all that goes away and they're more focused on the music than they would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the other thing too, like keeping, I think the, the idea of keeping people guessing is a big part of this because, you know, I said earlier, um, like the last big rock band that harkens back to, you know, rock bands of previous generations. And you think of all the lore and legends and, you know, mystique and mythology 
uh, of the Beatles or Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, whatever, you know, where you hear these stories, some of them obviously, you know, that are, are true and then others people debate for g- generations, you know, decades and decades. Some of them were still like going back and forth on what, 50, 60 years later. And that doesn't happen as much anymore. Part of that is obviously because of the internet and the white stripes broke right before the internet changed everything and mm-hmm. then sort of rode, rose to fame right as it was changing everything. But I think that the concerted effort to create this whole package where it, you know, raised more questions than it answered as mm-hmm. a band really helped play into that because it wasn't happening that much at, you know, at that point. And then sort of kind of helped inspire some other folks. Like, I'm not sure if this is true, but I would guess that the Hives were probably inspired, at least in part, by the White Stripes in terms of, you know, they they had um this, this fake Svengali manager character who was just played by a friend of theirs, you know, like who was supposed to be the, the guy that put the band together, Randy Fitzsimmons or something like that. I don't even remember. Yeah. And, you know, they all wore matching outfits. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and their hat. musical sound also. Oh, well, uh, yeah, of course. Of <laughs> course. Certainly. Certainly. Um, but it's but it's like this idea of putting together this story and, and having a really tight sort of heavily art directed package as a band where you're making things up or if not making them up, at least like trying to lead the listener and lead the viewer down a rabbit hole of strangeness. I mean, I also think of like Andrew WK who almost certainly encouraged mm-hmm. all of the questions about like, Oh, is this the real guy or is it a fake guy? Oh yeah. You are like bringing up some, like this is <laughs> causing some, I'm like bodily memories are are being surfaced as you say. The, I'm like, Andrew WK. Yes. Remember the hives. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. An era. Definitely we an were era. There. <laughs> it mm-hmm. happened. Is this yeah. it? Um, yeah. Wow. Right. And, uh, you know, I also did not know that, uh, Jack took Meg's last name that white, originated from Meg. Oh, and that yeah. Is, I thought that was uh, it was interesting. Um, well, as, as we continue to talk about the White Stripes, uh, you know, one of the things that's frustrating about the Rock Hall is that there's no set list of criteria that uh, voters use. You know, it's not like it's time to vote for the Rock Hall. We judge them based on these set list of criteria. Uh, which can be frustrating because, like, how are you to know who to vote for when you have a ballot that is full of uh, great, worthy artists? So what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, I have my own list of categories that I've devised that I think if you do well, you have a good chance at induction. So we will evaluate the White Stripes with that after a break. We'll be right back. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, yeah, you got your your liquids. Uh, however, however you got them, yeah, whatever temperature they may be, hot, cold, whatever you needed. Oh, this I thought moment. you meant in and out, like whether you needed them <laughs> in or out. But yeah, whether hot or need, cold. Yes, that true. Do you need to get rid of liquids? Do you need to, uh, you know, bring them into the body? It's no judgment. This is a judgment free zone. Uh, all right. So the white stripes became surprise eligible for the rock hall this year because the hall shifted the calendar because of the pandemic and a little late for that, but they they decided to do it. And whereas we were assuming that 1997 debuts were going to be the newly eligible class this year, it's actually 97 and 98. We were not expecting it. There was no announcement about this. So when the white stripes made the ballot, for the first time this year, it was a major surprise. Obviously, the first uh, appearance on a ballot. And, uh, you know, their first released recording was a seven-inch single in 1998, Let's Shake Hands. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, Jack White has never been involved in an induction ceremony before. Which I think he is, seems like he would. I mean, I yeah. feel like it's probably not for the hall's lack of trying. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if they hadn't attempted to get him any time a guitar person. Many, was, many yeah. uh, guitar guys who you yeah. know Jack would have fit well as a as a tribute performer or as just a guest performer on a performance. Um, but you know, as someone who more than almost anyone uh, like signifies a return to rock rock is still alive you'd think the he would have been to the rock hall for a ceremony before but not as far as i know so let's uh let's jump into these categories we're going to start with iconic slash majorly recognizable songs and we'll attempt to kind of start from the uh the biggest ones and then work our way down i think without a doubt the iconic the song bass starts e- going right now. Here we go as he's saying it. <laughs> uh, the, the song that every, everybody knows, even if you don't even know that it's a White Stripe song, is Seven Nation Army. And to your, to your point about that, by the way, I just want to say there are people in this world who recite the, the bass line to the song 
and have no clue it's the White Stripes. They think it's called Jeremy Corbyn, which is in the UK for football games. They will just all, all the crowds will go, Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, wow. There, there was a Guardian article that said they were talking about some other labor politician. And it said, oh, yeah, the crowd at this game started chanting this other labor politician's name in the style of, and they didn't say the White Stripes Seven Nation Army. They said uh, Jeremy Corbyn. In the style um, of the Jeremy Corbyn chant. Yes. Uh, so that is how ubiquitous this song is. Uh, so ubiquitous that it is not, it, it's even worse or even more um, foundational than other jock jams like We Will Rock You. At least people know the name of that song. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it has taken a, a, an interesting journey. Um, you know, this was released in 2003. It was off of, you know, it was the follow-up to the the Breakout album. Um, Elephant is what it is the album that was on. It was a number one alt-rock hit, and uh, it is their most played song on the radio. It is their number one song on Spotify by a billion. <laughs> it's it's a billion jump to the next one. It, it, it's 1.2 billion is how many streams it has. And then the next most played song is doesn't even have 200 million. So again, this is without question. This is the anthemic. And it's like you said, Sean, it like almost doesn't even belong to the White Stripes anymore. It, 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 the riff is just a, a thing people chant and and they don't even know where it, it came from almost like it's a, a folk tale you know i mean now i'm thinking about it too as far as like it being so ubiquitous so well known and such a like like a pump-up anthem you know mm -hmm. it like makes you feel like you could you know karate chop something or break a, you know you could lift up a car if needed if this song was playing it's got that kind of lose yourself um uh vibe to it in a way but and now i'm thinking about it i'm like are the white stripes gonna close the ceremony i know that you think it'll be willy and it'll come mm -hmm. it'll come around we'll talk about this at the end of the episode i know but i guess i was just like oh yeah i guess there is something about like everybody knows that song and knows how to get down to it i'm just like where are you going to put the white stripes right. second to last i don't know probably um yeah but to your point uh i think jack white can come out and play on a willie song better than willie can come out and play on a, a white stripe song yes and also uh, many many people can duet on a on a willie song mm -hmm. as we've seen versus uh the alchemy many. of yeah. the white stripes is the fact is that it's just two of them you know yes. it doesn't lend itself to a big jam to people coming out uh and all playing along that almost goes against the whole like concept of the group and what, what works about that group. You know, the funny thing about it though, is um, that riff, um, I'm not going to say that Willie Nelson could easily guest on that song, but have you all ever heard the Oak Ridge boys cover of <laughs> seven nation army? <laughs> no, no, I have not. Um, they're doing that riff vocally. Coming from my bones, I feel like I would trust the Oak Ridge Boys. You know who I don't trust? Any college acapella group, okay? Oh and you know they've all done it. I'm not. I'm you not YouTubing that. No, they've done it. Don't yeah. do it. I don't want to know the actual the, the imagining of it is a, is so annoying to me. <laughs> oh no! 
Um, but I'm interested. I'll check out the Oak Ridge Boys doing sure. it, though. That and sounds the thing is, more it, fun to it's, me. It's not acapella. There is a band backing them. So there's like uh, piano and drums. The weird part is that the drums are incredibly... They're almost like a U2 level precise, which is, you know, the opposite of how Meg normally plays the drums. So it feels strange. I'm not sure if it's good, but I do love it. Uh, so, yeah, a Seven Nation Army, I, like, by a, by a mile is their most recognizable song. Uh, and that was off of Elephant, which was their follow-up to not their first album, but, like, their major breakthrough album, White Blood Cells, which came out in 2001. And the, you know, big song I'd say off of that album is what I would put in the two slot here, which is Fell in Love with a Girl. For a lot of people, the song that introduced them to the world. Including, I would say, probably all of us on this podcast Mm -hmm. was the first song that, I mean, I feel like it's the first song we all heard of theirs, you know? Mm -hmm. Is it what they played on the MTV Video Music Awards or the The movie movie awards? awards? Yeah, it is. Totally. I mean, like this was the, yeah, this, this was the breakthrough song and it's like less than two minutes so fast and punchy and like it it just hits you like a train take me away and 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 sean like you said the music video was iconic and it was just kind of like a perfect storm like a landing strip for for the white stripes oh yeah i mean i can't think of a better song really to blow up to you know as a band because it's so punchy the video's perfect um yeah it's you know so short you're in and out you want more like everything about it is just right and the fact that it was the one that hit when it did it still boggles my mind to think about to think back think about how big it became and how just massive they got Mm -hmm. uh, on the back of it like it's the kind of thing that just doesn't really seem to again doesn't seem to happen anymore Mm -hmm. with rock music you know many artists can get huge with a single out of nowhere with you know without a major label backing or whatever because the single starts to pick up steam and oh all of a sudden now they're signed to a major label sure that can Mm -hmm. happen but it's so rare for a rock band to have that happen i mean right now you know you think of like turnstile which is the huge hardcore band that people are talking about oh no they might they might blow up soon and it's like sure after 10 years not they're you know like three years hanging around four years hanging around no hits nobody knows who they are and then boom they're everywhere right zero to 100 um and then i would say another song that could potentially rival fell in love with a girl for that two slot is Mm. uh icky thumb was off their last studio album off of the same name 2000 and because that song uh was a bigger hit went to number one on the alt rock songs chart and is their highest charting song on the hot 100 it went to number 26 and it's their only single that went platinum and i do feel like it gets played quite a bit on the radio still i think though it is one of those songs that like it like Seven Nation Army and Fell in Love with a Girl 
you you hear the name of those songs and I can hear them immediately. And I'm like, Iggy Thump, I'm sure I know that song. I know that I know it. And I know that the minute that the guitar started playing, I would be like, yep, I know this song. Would I be able to 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 request it? To be like, you know, I'd really like to hear Icky Thump right now. I don't know. Might be a generational thing because we're we're talking about, you know, this was 2007. Oh, yeah. Um, I I just I feel like this is I feel like Icky Thump was just it was huge and it like it crossed over in a way. It's almost kind of unusual because it's not like a particularly poppy song, you know, it's it's riff heavy, it's kind of weird. The song is called Icky Thump. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like uh that's the one that's like burr, burr, nah, 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 nah. Yes. that one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know that song. I just mm-hmm. wouldn't, uh, that's my guess of what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, do what are the words to it? I said, we can thump, we can thump, we can thump, down in Mexico. Oh, you got one half lap. We'll ship that. Yeah. I know the words clearly. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Make it sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably could be number two on the list. It's certainly a solid three. I love the song, and I thought that it really demonstrated the fact that, like, um, had they not broken up, um, they weren't going anywhere. Like, they still had songs left, you know. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, some bands where you're, uh, what would that have been? That's what, album six... You get that deep and the wells are dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But it was, you know, still, they're still firing on all cylinders at that point. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I think it, it should be up there. I have, uh, you know, I, I have like what I think are the recognizable ones from here that we can kind of go through. Like I would argue that maybe the next one is, off white blood cells and it's we're going to be friends. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Okay, that was it. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. That was the one I would say would be top 3 because yeah. it wasn't as huge of a hit, but culturally it is just like, like it it means something. It's like one you can hear still today and that is recognizably a white mm-hmm. stripe song. Was it featured in a movie it's trailer in Napoleon or Dynamite. something? Okay, in, there we yeah, go. The opening of Napoleon Dynamite. It's also the theme song to Conan O'Brien's podcast. Well, there you go. And so it's just, even if it's not like a song that maybe gets a lot of radio play, it's in enough things that people watch or listen to. And if you listen to that podcast every episode, you know, then you're you're getting a weekly dose a weekly dose yeah i mean it, it i think it's also been covered probably more than most of their songs like famously because i think uh bright eyes and jack johnson have covered it and it was on a couple other movies and tv shows so it's just like it's been out there in the ether it's around it, you know even if it wasn't uh a massive hit at the time and honestly i don't even remember what it did when it came out you know i'm i'm not really sure i you know i don't actually see it as being released as a single well and also this is the internet exists now like when Mm -hmm. like that's the time when the internet starts becoming more important than radio like where it's like the tide is turning Mm -hmm. um but so, also, you, if you think about, like, you just heard "Fell in Love with a Girl," right? And this is like your introduction to the band, and then you hear this song. It is such a departure. It, you know, you had hard mm-hmm. and fast and and like crazy, and then you go to this soft, like pretty 
acoustic song. It really it shows their range uh, immediately. Yeah, and you know, then you also sort of you become obsessed with them. Okay, cool. You get that record. You're like, oh wow, they have two more records. You get the other records, and you say, wait a minute, this is a totally different band because you hear those first couple that were way more garagey and you know way bluesier. Not that they ever lost the blues, the stomp blues influence, but you know, um, especially that first record. I mean, there's there's a reason why when they played. Was it Kilborn was the first late night show they played? They they did one original and one cover. And they, you know, did it as sort of a, a medley so that people would see. I think it was Southern Canada's Mine and Screwdriver, maybe. Tuesday morning now. I gotta have somewhere to go. I call up Tommy now. I call him on the telephone. I, I think that was the case, and it was just to show, like, here's what we're about. We're, you know, like, we mm-hmm. have a wide range, and it is interesting, particularly when you see um, their evolution on white blood cells, where it, where it becomes an even wider delta of, like, here's what we can do, here's who we are, here are the influences we're trying to show you. Yeah, and uh, I think they accomplished that that quite well. Uh, if, if we're going through the rest of the songs, it's kind of splitting hairs about, like, what is more recognizable, so I just kind of want to go chronologically. And I will also admit that like like i said i was in the i was resistant but i was also in the prime demographic yeah for this band so like some of the songs that i may think are like oh yeah those are recognizable i might just be like oh i was a 16 year old rock kid and uh this this music and this was like a very like an exciting new rock band when at a time when there were not a lot of that going on so that because also this is the post garage (laughs) revival as well you know the strokes had come and they were like not really like well they they were they were first but this was Mm -hmm. i think considered part of the same uh movement I would right, say. But I guess I think like they transcended it. I guess I what is what I mean. I feel like the white stripes went on to become like a more a, ubiquitous culture. Like I just like an think arena of, rock like, band almost an yeah. arena rock band. Exactly. More so than like a um, an alternative, you know, rock band that kids know and and you know their parents have heard of or whatever it becomes like, you know, fathers and sons can go to these shows together. <laughs> Mothers and daughters, everyone. Yeah. Rock is back. Thank you, Jack White. I mean, honestly. No, I mean, in many ways. I, I think that's a, one of those reasons why, without a doubt, the I know that, again, I am <laughs> keep like getting to the end of the episode, but it's like one of the reasons that they will get in, in particular, mm-hmm. is because they are so important to the rock like genre. Yes, in, yes. Uh, and that goes a long way. That goes a long way in the yes. hall. All right, that let is, me just, let me go through these. Uh, I would say off of White Blood Cells, uh, the opening track, Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. It's a song that made a dent on the radio uh, and was the follow-up single to Fell in Love with a Girl. Uh, I feel like that's that's a song that might you might hear it and you'd go, okay, yeah, I have this is a song I, I have heard before. Not getting the, quite the radio airplay of the others, but like I think an an important one in the trajectory of their singles and their songs. 
The and then the second biggest song off of Elephant after Seven Nation Army is a hardest button to button. One where again you know the lyrics. Mm-hmm. You and, hear you hear the name of it. You know what it sounds like because you're singing it to yourself. Mm-hmm. But maybe more important to it, similarly to Seven Nation Army, is like the opening, like what the what the rhythm of the the beat and the riff are doing together. Maybe supersede the lyrics itself. And I would say, like, similar to Fell in Love with a Girl, the video is like equally iconic, where you have that strange sort of, um, stop motiony thing where they're going all over oh I think it is in New York maybe and then into the subway and all of that like so yeah. per- another another perfect Michelle Gondry joint right they're they're moving without moving so it's like they're stationary but with the way the film is cut it looks like they're moving but they're just playing their instruments as they're like almost like they're being pushed around like a toy or something uh it's very uh very cool you know like you said, classic Gondry. Um, their follow-up to Elephant was an album called Get Behind Me, Satan in 2005. And uh, I would say Blue Orchid off of that album. Again, another strong riff. And this one this one charted on the Hot 100, went to 43. Uh, and this is their... Uh, this is their number five song on Spotify after uh, We're Gonna Be Friends, so... There's that. And then uh, Get Behind Me, Satan also has the Denial Twist on it, which went to number five on the Alt Rock Songs chart. Might be might be getting into a place where people, unless they were like big Alt Rock radio heads at that time, might not know. But that's a that's a fun song. Also got to call out. My doorbell, I think, is just like a really catchy mm-hmm. pop rock song. Um, yeah, and that's that's what if I had to say, like, what are the songs? If you're not a White Stripes fan necessarily, might you recognize those are the ones that I would throw out there? I'm sure there are people who are like, well, what about this? What about that? No, I but- think that encompasses it pretty well. I mean, there are others that, you know, like if you're on the periphery or if you're a casual fan, you'll know. But if we're talking about like, um, you know, the random person in a parking lot who knows who the White Stripes are, if you play the songs, those are the ones that they will say, ooh, oh yeah, that song. Oh, right, that song. Mm-hmm. And then they'll hum the riff to Seven Nation Army before you without you playing it at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's uh so let's talk about the next category, classic albums. Which of their albums are classics? So, you know, we already we talked about White Blood Cells and then Elephant. Let me just kind of review what the discography is. They have a, a two albums before the big breakthrough. So they have a self-titled in 1999, they have Still in 2000, and then White Blood Cells was the breakout in 2001. Even bigger was the follow-up Elephant in 2003, and then there was Get Behind Me, Satan in 2005, and then they finished their run with Icky Thump in 2007. Do you guys think, without looking, Mm -hmm. that the White Stripes have any albums on the Rolling Stone 500 list 
which worth pointing out, the first one came out in 2003, smack dab in the middle of their run, and then they revised it in 2020. If they do, I would say it's probably white blood cells and elephant. Yeah, I would say it would be white blood cells and or elephant. Um, I'm going to guess that it's they'd like to do first album is the thing. They like to do the big first album, but I or guess like the in, breakthrough album. Yeah, the in, breakthrough in album. That's, yeah, yeah, not meaning meaning like the big first album, meaning the breakthrough album. They like to do the breakthrough album generally, but first, I don't know. Is Elephant on there? So this list came out in November 2003, seven months after Elephant came out. Oh, okay. So then probably not. And it was on the list. <gasps> wow. Same well, year well, as the that list. That is some Rolling Stones. That is some Rolling Stone stuff right there. They and it, it was so. I mean, there's potentially some recency bias when something like that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Three ninety was where it mm-hmm. was on the list, and that it is on the revised list as well. Four forty nine. What about uh, white, white blood, blood cells? cells? Then wait, wait, wait. So then I'm gonna say that white blood cells is also on both. White Blood Cells is only on the weird revised 2012 list when they oh, tinkered the, like, with... Minor twi- the minor tweak list. Yes, they tinkered with the 2003 to like maybe incorporate some newer stuff, and it comes in at 497. Boo. So they Boo. like barely... <laughs> they barely put it on that 2012 list, and then it is not on... 03 or 2020 kind of interesting uh but i really think that speaks to their strength in the next category critical acclaim i mean the fact that they had an album that came out the same year as this list of the all-time greatest classics and they put it on there it was a five-star review from rolling stone for elephant and i mean NME, Pitchfork, Spin, Consequence Yeah, I was going to say, but what like, did Pitchfork think? This is the aughts. What did Pitchfork think? They are, <laughs> uh, you know, there are many outlets that consistently rank their songs and albums as among the best of the 2000s and beyond. Uh, after White Blood Cells came out, the Daily Mirror <laughs> called them the best band since the Sex Pistols. I buy it. I buy it. People love rock and roll music, and this was like decidedly rock and roll. People were just happy to have some guitar forward music be like undeniably popular and good. You know, you don't get that very often. (laughs) Guitar forward music has just kind of like not been that. That's not the story of this century. Um, Ironically, it started out as the story of the century, but hasn't been for a while. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's cool and all, but really they should have six albums on the top 500. Let's be real. Come on. <laughs> I have to say that. Yeah, I, have I to. mean, no, I do. I, 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 I know that those two are their essential records, but I genuinely think that like the first two records don't get enough love because people just don't know they exist and they're really fucking good. But yeah, I mean, like with critical acclaim, like they just were, they were darlings. And I remember Elephant getting a five star review in Rolling Stone. And just like this was a band that almost made critics feel like uh, there was hope again. <laughs> like yeah. the, the response to it just was overwhelming. Such uh, critical darlings. But, you know, does that matter if you don't have the next category, commercial success? 
And, you know, there, there's nothing quite like the, the bigger names on the ballot this year, like, a, you know, not putting up George Michael numbers, but it's also like this isn't Velvet Underground numbers. White Blood Cells and Elephant both went platinum. Icky Thump and a live album called Under the Great Northern Lights went gold. And, you know, the Icky Thump single went platinum. So, you know, they were commercially successful. It's, you know, they're not Mariah Carey, but... Like especially like, but she hasn't been nominated. (laughs) Yeah, so so beat it, beat it, Carrie. You know what in the damn hell's going on there? That's for a different episode. But um, uh, yeah, they are a successful stadium rock band. They are the great savior, the great like against all odds of (laughs) rock and roll, if you will. Because the, the, the addendum to that, Kristen, though, is like, it's not cool if that's what you set out to do. You set yep. out to be a great stadium rock band. It like when it happens almost incidentally is is like, oh, that is the that is the coolest thing for like a rock people or it's like it's, they were just it's doing like their thing. They are much they are much um too cool and good to be as popular as they are. And I think that's what kind of makes people like me less interested in them as, and I'm serious. Like I'm like, not that I'm like, Oh, the white stripes. I recognize that they are very good. And, but I'm like, man, they are so popular. (laughs) It's like, I don't know if I can really get into that, you know? Uh, (laughs) <laughs> and that's had, just me yeah. i'm a snob and sure, that's okay that's the word that's the uh, word. that's just that's what that's what's happening here and i recognize it i don't i and i and i will i i acknowledge my own bias but i also recognize that they rock and are very very skilled talented fun good musicians who write good fun interesting songs that feature guitar very heavily which is something that we are just like not we don't get our fix of as much these days yeah i mean you know i think uh, i i made a comment about how pitchfork didn't always treat them that well uh i mean obviously when they blew up everybody was on them but it, it eventually became a little passe oh yeah sure this horribly successful arena rock band oh god we have to listen to them again it's like yeah because they keep putting out good records duh mm-hmm Mm-hmm. But that's yeah, that's exactly. the other thing too is it's like you know when talking about commercial success there are the records and how they sold but yeah there's the fact that like they were a huge gigantic live band playing massive shows to so many people mm-hmm. and that is something that you almost forget in the sense that other bands from that era and before who are still around still touring like you know you know how big they were because they still are you know, live anyway, even if the records aren't selling. But with the White Stripes going away, it's like it's a little bit different because Jack's doing his own thing, something, you know, that is like familiar but still markedly different from what he was doing then and not content to just go and sell out, you know, sell out arenas playing White Stripes songs, which is what other people like him would do. So I do think we sometimes forget just how big they were culturally when it comes to like that level of commercial success from a live perspective. Yeah. And a fun thing I learned on your podcast is that uh, often not uh, using a set list, which is something that a a two piece can get away (laughs) with because Jack can kind of (laughs) decide what he wants to do. And Meg was very skilled at being able to follow him and pick up what he was, uh, what he was laying down. 
Yeah, and that's also one of the things that I think made them just a compelling band to see live, especially when you would watch them making eye contact. It was so different than if you just see two members of any other band looking at one another because it really felt like there was some bizarre psychic connection. I'm just going back and looking at some of the footage. Well, it's wild. And I mean, what's interesting, I mean, I say this as someone who just has the Wikipedia page open and whatnot, but like that, that, you know, they had, they were divorced, like by the time they really hit the mainstream success and like big kind of portion of their career. Uh, and clearly they were still close and making that uh, work. Fake news. Could still have fake a musical news, connection. Fake yeah. news. Their brother and sister. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Toe the line, Sean. Um, uh, let's go to the next category, longevity. Uh, you know, even though they uh, debuted in 98, technically it's they don't hit big until 2002. Then the last album is 2007. And so we're talking about, uh, about uh, six or so years, which is not bad. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, there's a lot of bands in the rock hall where the longevity is the key where it's like, wow, this band kept going for decades. Um, that's not the case here, but I do think, you know, as we talked about, like, Jack White as a figure continues to loom large. You know, he was on SNL as of this recording, like, two weeks ago. So it's just, I feel like they, even though the the kind of imperial phase of the band wasn't particularly long, I feel like there's it's still resonates especially with with jack yeah and i think the other thing about it too is it's like there are two types of longevity one is like how long does the band last and then other is how relevant is the music and you know i still think to this day the I, i've told this story to some people before not long after i started working on the podcast i was in cincinnati driving around and i'm just like thumbing through radio stations for some reason it's something i never do because you know uh outside of public radio i think uh, all commercial radio is pretty much garbage. So I'm like going through, I find like a couple of different sort of alt rock or modern rock stations, whatever they are. And I hear four songs in a row that all sound like the white stripes. And I don't mean like, oh, it's the black keys. I mean like the riffs sound like the white stripes, <laughs> the structure of the songs. They like, it is all very, very clearly heavily influenced by the white stripes in a way that's like, uh, it shows that their music has staying power. Not just that people are influenced by them, but that the music is relevant. Mm -hmm. That the sounds still matter, the sounds still mean something. And I feel like, you know, to your point, Jack White still around, still, still fucking rocking it, still kicking it. And then the music that he made 20, 25 years ago still sounds fresh in yeah. ways that, you know, other music does not. Well, that transitions perfectly to the next category, which is influence. You know, yep. and some, sometimes it can be hard to track that when you have an artist that's comparatively on the ballot newer. Like some of these artists can be like, oh, yeah, well, they were in the 80s. And then we can see in the decades. But, you know, this is, you know, a band that was peaking in the mid 2000s. But like you said, uh, and, you know, it, the Black Keys were brought up, but you you can't ignore the the similarities of here's another blues based riff rock duo mm -hmm. um and you know there i mean it, it, you mentioned so i don't know if these songs that you heard you were able to identify the artists sean 
but you know it, it's maybe more of just like a a vibe um yeah i think one of them was cage the elephant others i did not recognize because i mm-hmm. you know i'm not like i'm i'm not an alt rock guy um <clears throat> so yeah. i wasn't sure but i i did hear them mention that one of them was cage the elephant also you know i'm from uh I'm, i live in kentucky and cage the elephant a kentucky band so like that's the reason why i would have caught that one anyway uh yeah i mean i i i don't know who the other bands were i just know that you still hear it you still hear it. You still hear it. It is there. Cage the elephant, kind of a white stripes reference, if you really think about <laughs> no, I didn't it. Think about that. Good point. <laughs> and I yeah. mean, you know, the other thing about influence too is, and this goes back to this is one of those nebulous things about okay, how do you judge this? Not just like does the criteria include longevity, influence, sales, whatever, but like the influence of the individual members, because you know, even beyond. Jack's solo career as a musician if he quit the White Stripes or the White Stripes broke up rather and then he just went and started Third Man Records um, he still would be one of the most influential figures in music of the last 20 years because Mm -hmm. Third Man and what he's done for like vinyl culture it's not like he single-handedly caused the vinyl revival but um yeah, Urban Outfitters did that, so let's give credit where credit is due. But um, I don't know if it happens as quickly. I don't know if it happens in the same way, and I don't know if it reaches the same heights without him. So that you know, that's a level of influence that I think is like really important to denote, to, to even if I don't know whether Rock Hall voters would factor that in. Um, some may. That's exactly it. Some may, like mm-hmm. we said, there's no criteria, so they can kind of do whatever the heck they want. They can be like, oh, I just, I ran into that guy the other day. He seemed nice. Like, <laughs> you know, it can truly be anything, uh, frustratingly so. Uh, but let's talk about the next category, artistry slash skill. We've kind of been touching on that the whole episode, but like, even if you're just thinking about Jack as a great, innovative guitar player, you know, maybe even at the, I would say definitely probably at the guitar god status, and, uh, you know, someone he's also has a distinctive voice and he's a great songwriter. And, you know, authentic is the word that I, I keep thinking of. But also, I mean, that everybody kind of knows that. But let's also not discount Meg, whose drumming style, I think, perfectly meshed with with Jack. Yeah, that's a thing that I'm so happy. It's sort of like, um, you know, for decades, people were like, "Ugh, Ringo, a horrible drummer. And eventually came around like, oh, no, he wasn't a horrible drummer just because Paul was doing drums here and there for this, that, or the other doesn't mean he was a bad drummer. In fact, if it weren't for his drums, many of the Beatles records would not be the same and would not be as good. Similarly, Meg White got a lot of shit. And I think most of it, to be frank, was misogyny. I mean, she was never a clinician. She's never Buddy Rich. But, like, that was not uh, that was not supposed to be the point. That was, you know, that that's kind of totally irrelevant and I'm glad that folks have come back around to recognize that the style of drums that she played the way that she was able to match Jack's energy in a way that was complimentary not just because she was playing with him but complimentary in the sense that she was doing something different than he was you know they were playing very primitive music but the way she was modeling 
how she played the drums was different than the way Jack was modeling how he was playing the guitar. It's the kind of thing that maybe shouldn't have worked, but it did. You know, because like you said, he's a guitar guitar god level. Like, definitely. It might get loud, um, you know, displays that, if for no other reason than the fact that they're like, yeah, let's get three guitarists together. I like the three best ever. I don't know, Jimmy Page, The Edge, and Jack White. Sure, why not? Okay, that sounds good. But that's like only half the point. If you're playing like that with that level of virtuosity and then you have the other person pounding on the on the drums in like a, a very rudimentary is not the word, but just, again, like primal, visceral way, like the juxtaposition there is what makes it work. Anyone who says that she's a bad drummer, uh, either they're uh, a dude with a skullet or um, someone who doesn't actually know how to listen to music because it's not about how precisely you hit the notes and how many notes you can play. Um, it's about what you're trying to say and how you express that. And she... It's a feeling, man. Yeah. She was fucking great I at mean, it. and when we... what I think that's a hallmark also of rock and roll, you know? We, the rock, And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not full of the most skilled musicians that's not it's never been the point uh and that you know that's exhibited i think quite well by the incredible drumming of meg white all right guys we've made our way to the final category perhaps the most important category does my mom know who they are and uh my mom does yeah, my mom definitely knows uh, who they are. I think my mom, I don't know if my mom has seen them in concert, but for sure she would. Like mm. my mom, my mom has seen the Black Keys in concert twice. Like she would love oh, wow. to see the White Stripes. Yes. Like, uh, yeah, no, my mom, this is very much uh, right up her alley. My mom loves like blues music and guitar forward music. And so, uh, yeah, this is absolutely I'm sure my mom is probably a bigger White Stripes fan than I am, which, again, is probably has something to do with why I'm like, ah, I think they're good. I like them, but I'm not like a big fan, you know, like you're rebelling that, against your mom. That's I'm rebelling against my mom. Wow. We figured it out. Um, yeah, no, but she definitely my mom would absolutely. She probably owns their CDs. Sean, my mom. Does your mom know who they are? She she knows the name of the band because she knows that I work with their label. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> as an example, I had a syndicated public radio show where I interviewed a lot of people. Um, my mom would tell folks like, oh yeah, he interviews famous people. And when she would ask me, who do you interview so I can give them names? I would say, uh, Elijah Wood. No, don't know who that is. Um, Ethan Hawke? No, don't know who that is. Um, John Carpenter? No, okay. Uh, the Zombies? <laughs> no, all right. Um, okay, Henry well. Rollins? Of course you don't know who that is, Mom. Why am I even asking? Uh, I just like that I would go on a lit like a list, you know, 20, 30 people, and, and my mom was just clueless. And I still to this day remember one of the last interviews I did on that show. It was Weird Al. And I was like, Oh, hey, Mom, I interviewed Weird Al. Oh, wow, you really do interview famous people. Like, all these years she thought I was lying <laughs> to her. Like, it's, you know, because it was such a different point of reference. And my point is, if you're not Weird Al level famous, 
my mom does not know who you are. Uh, not happening. So while she knows, wow, okay. The so name, Weird Al over White Stripes. Yeah, who by the way are friends. So they're you know like uh, Weird Al. Yeah. One of my favorite Weird Al, um, not parodies but style parodies is the White Stripes style song he did, uh, CNR. It's all about Charles Nelson Riley. Charles Nelson Riley was a mighty man, the kind of man you never disrespect. He stood eight foot tall, wore glasses, and he had a third nipple on the back of his neck. Great song. Right. Fucking amazing song. Very funny. But yes, so I have an atypical situation here where my mom probably doesn't know most people who are even nominated this year. So Fair. Uh, an, an anomaly, an outlier. Very much so. Um Let's go to uh, let's go to our verdict now. Let's let's make our decree. Should the White Stripes be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Will they get in? Will it be this year? We'll start with you, Kristen. Uh, should they? Yes. Will they? Yes. Will it be this year? Without a doubt. Um, okay, it's, great. Uh- <laughs> it's happening. I mean, for all the reasons that I said before, it's happening. Yeah. It's just like they we have spoken. They are the Foo Fighters of this year, except that I like them a lot more. And um, it's the keeping rock alive. It's thing. the keeping rock alive slot. It's the everybody who's in the industry is going to just be bending over themselves, running to the ballot box <laughs> to vote for the white stripes. <laughs> like, right. Uh, uh, it's happening. Sean, Sean, what do you think? Um, Yeah, they deserve it. They will eventually get in. I'm I'm on the fence about whether it'll be this year. I think it will be, but I guess it just depends on like how voters end up leaning um, as far as the level of eclecticism that they want to dive into because I could totally see Sheryl Crow and Missy Elliott and, you know, especially given everything that's happened um, with Tribe over the last few years and Willie Nelson, and then it's like, ooh, okay, well then how many more, oh boy, that's when you start to split the rock votes. You know, I I could see something like that happening, but I don't know that it will. I think they'll get in this year. I'm just trying to, like, really game it out now, particularly, like, knowing folks who, who do vote every year and how they think about all this stuff. So that's, so I'm, I'm a yes, probably. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, that's the thing is like there are with this ballot in particular, there are probably nine artists that have a strong chance of getting in. And that means someone's gonna, there's going to be some artists that get snubbed and we don't know what kind of snub it's going to be. But I will say the hall loves to induct a newly eligible rock band, which is getting yeah. to what Kristen was saying about the Foo Fighters, Green Day, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. They, and the, you know, the White Stripes is kind of one of the last chances they get to do that, to put in a like equi- unequivocally rock and roll band into the rock hall and do it as soon as they are eligible. Uh, they kind of they hit all the boxes. Jack White is, you know, beloved by the industry and uh, continues to be a very famous and uh, interesting, interesting, prolific. He, yes. He's involved in so many different projects with so many different, you know, styles of music, but it all kind of revolves around the guitar, which, again, is in the like 
graphic for the yeah. rock. So I so I would say uh, put your money on the white stripes. You yeah. know, stranger things have happened. Um, you know, Radiohead didn't get on their first year of eligibility, but also they were very publicly blasé about the nomination. Whereas I don't, I don't think uh, Jack or Meg or anybody has gone so far as to be like, I'm booking a date on the same uh, <laughs> night of the induction ceremony and I won't be there as Radiohead kind of did. So I think, uh, I think we can bet on it. Let's uh, talk about what that induction looks like. Uh, say, let's say they do get in. Who gives the speech to induct them? And I have I have someone who's at the top of the list, but I'm curious what you guys... Now, is John say. Mayer and his guitar available? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that be uh, uh, confusing? Yeah. Um, oh, I'm, I don't know who your, who your top person is. Uh, does, sh- I, sh- I, shall I just go ahead? Um, yeah. Conan O'Brien. Oh, yeah, that's easy. Right, mm, of course. Yeah, the Letterman type thing, and that'd be nice. That'd be good. Conan met the White Stripes pre-fame when they were doing a remote uh, in Detroit. Met them at a bowling alley, and they like hit it off. And uh, he was he he didn't even really quite remember it, but when the White Stripes did late night. Jack brought that up to him and was like, you were really nice to us. We had a really great time hanging out. And since then, you know, the White Stripes did a, they did like a week long residency on late night, I think around the time of, of Elephant. They performed at the very final late night with Conan O'Brien. Jack offered, and Conan thought it was a joke. Jack offered to make the upholstery for the TBS Conan show and Conan was like, ha ha ha. But he, he meant it. I listened to Jack on Conan's podcast recently, which again, he, the white stripes did the theme for, they mm-hmm. like go to baseball games together. They're oh, yeah, like they're friends. They're, they're friends. Friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just feel like, I, I, I mean, I'm trying to think about who else it could be. It would just be very funny. Also, if, Conan inducted the White Stripes and Letterman inducted Zevon in the same yeah. year. Oh, because that I mean, he's probably my number one choice for Zevon as well. But there's more. There's more people for Zevon. But yeah, I'm just curious. Like, what? Uh, who else could, do we think could realistically do the White Stripes uh, as an inductor? I can't think of anybody. That's that's too good of an answer. I think personally, hard for me to say someone who would make more sense who has the same level of influence and impact that they do, you know, where it wouldn't be a step down. I mean, you could you could say mm-hmm. any, like, well-known legendary guitarist just for the sake of yeah, I'm like, that legacy. But... What kind of, like, you know, it's like how they got a Beatle to induct the... Um, Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters, like, who... Well, you know who would have been actually a great choice was Loretta Lynn, because she uh... worked with, with Jack White quite a Mm. bit but she passed away you know not not a year ago um you know i had read that robert plant wants to work with jack white um i don't know much more about that i think dylan and uh i mean that would be insane if bob dylan (laughs) who i don't think would would induct anybody but you know i think he has some sort of a relationship with with jack white and one that's a, a kind of and it's something that i know from your podcast which is that Slater Kinney really liked uh, the White Stripes and took them on tour pre-fame. 
And so, you know, another most... band. See, it's like so funny that I never really. Uh, yeah, another band you, you were really into that they <laughs> yeah. took on tour, um, <laughs> like... like Pavement. But, you know, their most famous members, Carrie Brownstein. I mean, it's not like a huge marquee name, but it, yeah. it, it, could, it could make sense. All right. So what three songs do they play at the ceremony? If I'm just going based on like the songs that we picked as like the three most recognizable, you start off with fell in love with a girl, you do icky thump, then you close in seven nation army. Mm -hmm. That's probably accurate, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did something a little more obscure. Sure. Mainly because it seems like the kind of move Jack would do. So I could see fell mm -hmm. in love with a girl, seven nation army, and you do have to close with seven nation army, but you know, yes. I, I, I mm -hmm. could see almost doing one of the songs that's like maybe, you know, Death Letter or something like that. Something that is a real serious nod to the old bluesmen that got Jack inspired to like play the guitar and also do what the White Stripes do. I got a letter this morning. What do you reckon it read? I don't know what song that would be. Maybe Death Letter would be the one. Maybe Southern Can. Something like that would not surprise me if it happened. Or even like an interlude with that. I think that's yeah. something that we see a fair amount of, which is that they're playing one song, they do an interlude of something else, and then come back and finish up that song. I think that mm -hmm. could really, something like that could happen and just kind of like to demonstrate some virtuosity and things like that. that also, their songs are short. Yep. You know, so like if they're allotted eight and minutes. And they're going to be allotted, exactly. They're, and their stuff isn't going to get cut. No. You know, it's going to be the Eminem also of it all, even if it's. Yeah, your exciting uh, like, newer artist gets yeah. more time. But also they don't need more time because, like I said, the songs are short. They can fit yeah. a lot into the allotted time. But yeah, Seven Nation Army, you, you close you close with, you have the whole Barclays Center chanting you invite the oak ridge boys out and they do the whole thing thank mm -hmm. you well they're there for willie already they're all hanging <laughs> out uh good lord okay if they get inducted do you think meg would go and be involved this is a great question i think given what this is and what it represents probably you know mm -hmm. I, I i think she probably would you know i know she Really likes to. Do you think she'll perform too? That's the thing I don't know. Uh, you know, she really likes to stay out of the spotlight. I know that. I'm like 75% that she's there and maybe like 35% that she plays. Yeah. I think the yeah. hall, the hall would do by any means necessary, try to get her to, to perform because that's huge for them to have a white stripes reunion. And if there was a white stripes reunion ceremonies in New York this year, would you go Sean? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I would, I would go. Because it's like, when is that going to happen again, right? Yeah, that could also be. I, I keep referencing. I'm like, it's the Eminem of it all. It's the Foo Fighters of it all. And this could mean it's the Pearl Jam of it all, which is that like White Stripes fans could really flood the zone as far as uh, tickets are concerned. Potentially, potentially. I mean, I could also see it being particularly weird and being the Nirvana of it all. Um, where you end up with a lot of other people, you know, instead of uh, fronting the band, um, you end up with a lot of other people on drums and they're ridiculously famous people as well or something along those lines. I could see it going either way. Yeah, I mean, that's, I imagine it, I imagine likely 
I mean, I'm like, she kind of, you know, gave it up to, you know, because of the anxiety and also just not wanting to be a public person uh, from what I know. And I, I, I imagine it's like, yeah, a 30% chance that she would play. And so then in my head, I'm like, yeah, who are the drummers that they would kind of like rotate in on some of these songs? Yeah. I don't know. Cause on some level, it's almost like, it doesn't feel like it would be about that. You just kind of have somebody like whoever mm-hmm. plays in the Jack white band, just have them, do it. I think that's the boring version of it, though. I'd love to see like young female drummers in there and stuff, you know, like sure. that's something I'd like to see. It would be disappointing if it was just whoever's in the Jack White band right now. Fair enough. Well, if they uh, if they reunite and, and you go, Sean, we will likely see you there because uh, uh, we, we try to go every single year. So, yeah, thank you for joining us, Sean. This was great. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug what you want whether it's your social media or whether it's the podcast or whatever else you're working on right now uh yeah i mean i've got a handful of things but nothing that's going to be out anytime soon again like season three of striped which will be coming so please please don't forget that it exists i know it's been a little while since season two came out but blame the pandemic on that um so yeah just go listen to striped if you haven't um, go listen to the White Stripes if you, I mean, you have for sure. If you're listening to this and you've listened to them, <laughs> go listen more. Go listen to Distill. Go listen to to the self-titled record. Throw Big Three. I mean, just listen to the whole thing. Just listen to the whole thing. Listen to, listen to the first record. Yeah. Listen to the second Start record. Start at the beginning and don't stop until you get yeah, to the end. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's, all, that's all there is to it. Anyway, thank you all for the chance yeah. to come on. Well, of course. And, uh, you know, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock All Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rockallpod at gmail.com is the email if you want Kristen to see your message. You need to designate set somewhere in there. Otherwise, she doesn't want to see it. I'm not going to forward it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us five stars only. Anything less than five would be rude. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you, Yusuke Kim, for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.